Well, if you're just joining us, uh, we're actually in a series on what is typically called the Sermon on the Mount. And our senior pastor, Dwayne Corey, has done a great job leading us through the first of what are called the Beatitudes. These are statements of supreme blessedness by Jesus. So these are statements, the Beatitudes are statements that Jesus made to his followers about what is this kingdom of God that he's talking about? What is this going to be like? And how does it contrast to the kingdoms of the world, the power structures of the world? How are the citizens of this kingdom to live? How, what are they to do, to be, to have? So it's a great, great passage of scripture. I think it's actually a favorite uh, for many. Uh, but we, always, we, we don't quite know how to take them and do them sometimes. We don't know how they hit us. Sometimes we read them, we can gloss over them. We can think we kind of got it, but they're really deep and really rich. And so we are going to continue in this series today with Matthew 5, 7 through 9. We're going to take on three more of these beatitudes, these blessing statements. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn. It's also on the screen behind me. And Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 7 through 9. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That's what he says. Now, if it wasn't such a bad and and, and awkward technique, I'd actually probably turn my back on you all right now. Uh, Not because it's my, you'd be getting my best side, but because I need to preach this to myself. In this whole week, as I've been preparing this sermon, time after time after time, it's hit me. I need this probably more than you all do. These are tough for me personally. I struggle with mercy. I struggle with making peace and I struggle with a pure heart. And as God so often does to pastors, uh, we're a persecuted lot. Uh, As I was preparing this sermon on mercy and peace, uh, my truck was broken into uh, last Sunday. And it was kind of ravaged and stuff thrown all over and and stuff stolen out of it. So I'm preparing this sermon, digesting this text, internalizing it, thinking, how do you all uh, need this sermon this morning? And here's here's sort of a real-time flow of my thoughts as I I open my truck and I'm driving to church. I thought, you know, I need to make a sign and post it on the front of my house. You messed with the wrong person. Only I had a different phrase there for mess with that pastors uh, don't say. I thought I could buy a home fingerprint kit. Surely they make a home fingerprint kit on Amazon. I could dust my whole vehicle and then I could go find the person and destroy their life. I could wire four SUV batteries to the door handles so next time they try and I'd actually leave it unlocked next time, they would electrocute themselves on the door handles. This is actually what was going in my, through my head. I thought my wife is a black belt in Taekwondo, true story. I have three able-bodied sons. I have a bunch of guns. I could post a Weston at every sort of place in my house, in the windows, around the fences. You know, you mess with one bean, you mess with the whole burrito kind of thing. And my thoughts just went on and on and on like this. No mercy, no pure thoughts, no peace. <clears throat> that's me. And that's just me personally. But beyond a personal level, I think you'd agree that we see in our society today a lack of mercy, a lack of purity and peace. If you're like me, you've seen public discourse lately at an all-time 
vitriolic, mean-spirited, low, merciless. And research shows, this is interesting, I researched this, so actually charitable giving, philanthropy, service is at an all-time high in 2017 was when the research was done. So you compare that with people being chased out of restaurants for their political views. The fight against racism seems to have made no progress. Hidden violence against women coming out after years. And if you're like me, you read in horror appalling discourses on Twitter, not from hoods and ruffians on the streets, but from leaders, celebrities, influential people. Where are the merciful? What happened to purity and making peace? What happened to it? Seems to be gone. So Jesus' words that we just read, his words in these pages, and I love the confession of sin that Tim kind of prepared our hearts with because that's where I'm at. And I know a lot of you are better at this than me. But these words come through what seems like at just the right time in our society today. Just the right time. And you know, the funny thing is this is a perfect time back then too. The Roman world, the Roman world in which, in which this was operating, in which Jesus was teaching, was merciless. Execution by wild beasts, crucifixion, persecution of religious and ethnic peoples, exposing unwanted infants to the cold to die, cruelty, war. So they did not live in a merciful time either. They didn't live in a time of peace and purity. So I believe that in these three short verses that Jesus is addressing three of the greatest needs, the greatest desires of every person on earth. I think what we all long for. So let's dive in and look at them a little bit closer. Well, the thing I like about these, the thing I find interesting is that unlike the rest of the Beatitudes, these three actually would have made perfect sense to those that heard them. So all the Beatitudes before these, if you guys remember, if you tuned into the last sermons, you can find those on our website, you can find those uh, online. But the Beatitudes before this would have been really confusing and alarming to people. Matthew 5, 3 through 5 reads this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So the ones who are picked last for kickball are the ones that get it, Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. Then comes the next one, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. No, Jesus, it's the righteous that will be filled, not just the people that want it. It's the actual righteous. That doesn't make sense, Jesus. Then you skip down to verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted. What? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No, blessed are the strong, the victor. That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. But you've got these three sandwiched in the middle. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Okay, that makes sense. God is good to good people, right? God helps those who help themselves. It's in the Bible somewhere. I can't find it, but it's got to be in there. Or maybe it's Benjamin Franklin. I don't know. 
if I put in A, I should get B. Simple math. Surely kids only have struggles because of bad parenting, right? Surely only bad employees lose their jobs. Surely bad things only happen to bad people. So it seems like what Jesus is saying is, hey, if you show other, mercy, other people mercy, God will, show, will, will pay you back with mercy. You have a pure heart, hey, you're going to get to see God. You put an A, you get B. See, sometimes I think, and sometimes I act this way, is that God's undeserved grace and mercy are all well and good, but it takes good karma to get them. Doesn't make sense, but that's kind of how I live. You see, the problem though, and we'll see this, and I love this, the problem is that these Beatitudes only make sense until Jesus keeps talking. So he's going to kind of blow this up. So the rest of the Sermon on the Mount happens. So Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So if I'm sitting on that mountain, I'm one of his followers, I'm thinking I'm, I'm a pretty merciful person. I give alms to the poor. I help out at the temple. I pray for the sick. I put on my purple tunic three times a year and serve the community. And <laughs> This is awesome. It's snowing. It's early. That's all. You're, you're, you're awake. So five minutes later, what would have been about five minutes, in verse 38, Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Okay? Tracking. That wasn't a saying that encouraged vengeance, but it rather put a restraint on vengeance. Because what would happen in the Old Testament, what happened is if somebody knocked out a tooth, the victim would say they have a right to kill that person or cut off their hand or burn down their house or electrocute them with SUV batteries, whatever. So the saying is more like this. It's more, hey, don't go crazy, but just take vengeance according to the offense. Sort of show mercy even as you're showing vengeance. That's the idea behind that phrase. But Jesus comes in and he says, Showing mercy while taking vengeance isn't merciful enough. He says, in fact, don't take the vengeance that is your right to take. Verse 39 through 42, he goes on. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Wow. Now, this does not mean to put yourself in abusive situations. It doesn't let, mean to let yourself be a whipping post, a doormat. If you're in danger, fight back, get out. That's what I tell my kids. Jesus is not asking you to give up the right to defend yourself. He's not. But what Jesus is saying is to give up your right to take vengeance just for vengeance sake. Break the cycle of meanness. Stop the Twitter feed. Be okay with being wronged. Don't just automatically take the vengeance on someone that is their due. Don't automatically strike back at someone who strikes at you if you're not in danger. Give the robber more of my stuff if he truly needs it. Wow. That is really, really hard. So suddenly, I am not really that merciful at all. 
am I? But surely no one can live that out perfectly, can they? Jesus did. The perfect son of God, light of light, true God of true God, allowed sinful men to beat him, spit on him, insult him, mock him, pound a crown of thorns in his head, tear up his followers with lions, and nail him to a cross. And he did it all willingly because that's why he came. He came to save merciless sinners like me with his own mercy. He deserved to take vengeance, did he not? But he didn't. He showed mercy. So only the truly merciful should receive merciful. And it turns out there's one that is only truly merciful. And he doesn't take vengeance. He doesn't take his right, but he pours out his mercy on us. What about the pure in heart? Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Well, I mess up sometimes, but I I have a pretty pure heart. I think I love people well. I don't do big sins. I don't murder, I don't commit adultery. I understand that people who do those things won't see God, but I have a pure heart. Then comes the rest of the sermon. Bummer. Verse 21, Jesus continues. He says this. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Got it. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. What? Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is an Aramaic insult with no English equivalent, must have been really bad, is answerable to the court. And anyone who tweets out, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. But wait, there's more. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. Jesus was saying, do you think you have a pure heart? You don't. You have murdered and violated others in your heart. We are all alike under this problem of sin. Me, us in this room, us outside of these walls, we are all alike. Except Jesus. He continues, he says this, he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Wow. The original wording of what Jesus said here would have been clear. The Greek grammar is clear. You see, the if there and the construction of this sentence sets it up for the listener to know that Jesus is setting up something that is obviously untrue. And everybody knew it. He says, look, if your impurity is just a physical problem, then give it a physical solution. If your eye is the thing causing you not to be pure enough to enter heaven, then just deal with it yourself. He's saying, can't you just deal with it yourself? Cut it out. If your hand is the problem, wouldn't you rather go into heaven missing a hand than be separated from God's glory for all eternity? If your lack of 
purity is a physical thing, a lack of willpower, then deal with it. That's what he's saying. And everybody would have known it's not true. It's a heart issue. And Jesus knows it. If calling my brother or sister a fool makes me impure, then I don't really deserve to see God. I am not able to see God. And I know that just cutting off my hand is not going to solve the problem. So how do I see God? I thought mostly pure was pure enough. But here's what he's saying. He's saying there's only one who is pure enough to see God, and that is Jesus himself. He has caused the separation between us and God because of our impure hearts to be demolished. He's destroyed it. He's made peace with God. And there's only one who is pure in heart. And Jesus, he has made a way for us to be pure in heart, for us to see God. See, we can see God. The pure in heart can see God. That's true, but only through Jesus. We can see God right now. We will see him in the future as he is if we do that through Jesus. What's no surprise, the same thing happens when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. The original language here uses the word son. And the reason it does that is because in the Roman world at the time, only the son had all the rights to the inheritance. Everything that the father had, the son would get. That's not true anymore, so we can substitute that with children, sons and daughters. But it is speaking here of inheritance. Who gets all the blessings of the father? Who gets it? Well, those who make peace. Okay, I might be pretty good at that. I I try not to start fights. I'm good at conflict resolution. I'm quick with an apology. I'm a peacemaker. But then Jesus continues. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says in verse 43, check, I did that this morning. Love my neighbor, hated my enemy. I'm good. But then he keeps going. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's hard. To actually and truly love your enemy and even to mean it when we pray. So as you're driving to church last week, I turned to my son, Cade. He was with me and I said, Cade, I'm really angry right now. But the Bible says we need to pray for this person. And I'm going to pray. So I did. But I didn't feel like it. I didn't mean it. And that's okay I do, to do it as an act of faith. That's okay. We don't, we don't have to be there perfectly. But in my heart, as I'm praying, I still wanted to destroy this person. And I still am angry. Every time I get in my car, I'm angry. So I just prayed as an act of obedience to God, which is great. It's a great place to start. But I couldn't fully mean it in my heart. When God loves his enemies, he means it. He doesn't just pray for his enemies. That's, that's, that's what we do as mortals. He dies for them. He really, really means it. Colossians 1, 19 through 22 says this. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, Shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies of God. 
in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Wow. We were his enemies. We were impure, merciless. He did not just pray for us, cover it over, whatever, the best we can try to do. He died for us. He, may, he turned his enemies into sons and daughters. Wow. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, God didn't just love his enemies in word. He came, he sacrificed, he died so that we could now be friends. He showed us mercy. He continues to show us mercy. So what do these verses point us to? They point us to Jesus. They point us to God's character expressed in his only son, Jesus. So how does that affect us? What does God want us to do with these three short verses? How do we apply them to our lives? Well, here's a couple ways. If you're here and have not embraced Jesus as your Savior, if you've not accepted his free gift of forgiveness, these verses were meant to point you to the wonder and beauty of what he has done for you. Would you make a decision to trust in him? Would you not want to put your trust in a merciful and pure God who has made peace with you at a very great cost and accept that offer of mercy? A great first step towards this would be what we call starting point here at Deer Creek Church. It's a great place to learn about who Jesus is, how you can know him, how you can know your gifts, how you can know how to serve. And so in November, if you want to do it now, it's too late. Haha. You got to wait till November. But in November, it's going to be the first four Sundays of November downstairs, not at the quarries. If you show up at the quarries, you may get a very cold reception uh, at night. Because in November, it's going to be here, second service downstairs. Great way to find out more about who Jesus is and how you can start a relationship and accept his gift of mercy. For those who have already made the decision to follow Jesus, don't lose the sense of that amazing sacrifice on your behalf. Jesus prays for you, intercedes for you, but he also makes it possible for you to be forgiven and free. But here's what I don't want us to do this morning. I don't want us to just think of these things as spiritual. I don't want us to just think of these things as just pointing to Jesus. It's not like Jesus put these things out as an impossible standard and then watches us fail. That's not the point. Through his power, and this is amazing, through the power of Jesus, we can actually live these out. Not to somehow get into heaven, not somehow on our own or do them perfectly, but we can live these out. Where are the merciful? Where are the pure? Where are the peacemakers in this age? It is Christians. By faith, it is Christians. It's those who name the name of Jesus. We might not act like it all the time, but we are the merciful through Christ. We are the peacemakers through Christ. We are the pure 
through Christ that the world is longing for. So imagine a day when these things are the hallmark of the church, hallmark of God's people in this world. You see, God's people can change the world. And I know some of you are really good at this in this room. We can turn the world upside down through these three small verses. We can start a revolution, a movement of mercy and purity and peace like our communities have never seen. We can cut the rates of suicide in Jefferson County, Arapahoe County, Douglas County, as we provide a safe listening place for those who are hurting. We can cut the rates of kids needing reduced price lunch in Jeffco, Littleton Schools. We can bring civil discourse back as a thing that actually happens and not take vengeance. We can make no room for hate in our communities. The world needs the church to practice these things, to stumble towards forgiving our enemies in our weak, imperfect way, to speak mercy to those who hate us and throw shade on us. You see, the the Beatitudes point us to Jesus, but they call us to something. They call us to a life-changing, world-altering, God-glorifying life that we can live out through him. And the crazy good news is when we fail, and we will, just like we did this morning up here, we can confess that to God. We can repent. We can fall on his mercy. So Deer Creek, let's go out into the snow and be merciful. Let's promote purity. Let's make peace in Jesus' name. And here's what I want us to do. I think I already know who mine is. But ask God to show you this week those enemies who need mercy. Ask God for strength to respond in kindness when you are wronged. Ask God, and this is kind of crazy. You might want to do this. I take this back. Maybe you will. Ask God to put in your path people who need to see his mercy lived out through you, to need, who need to know God's peace. Let's make a difference this week. I know we can. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for these words, for your truth. Thank you that, oh man, I fall on my face with this, with my wife, with my kids, with my friends. But God, you forgive us. And God, it's only because you have shown us mercy that we can actually show others mercy. It's only because of your purity imputed to us by your grace that I can even claim to be pure in you. Thank you for making peace. Thank you for leaving your place in heaven to die for us. We love you. We pray that we would go out in power and strength, that we would run head on into people who need your grace and mercy. And when we look in the mirror, we would run head on into a person who needs it as well. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name, amen.